Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Hey there, and thank you so much for tuning in today. So I got an extremely cool doctor on today. He became a medical doctor at the age of 22. Ben Greenfield called him the smartest physician on the planet. He is the founder of the health optimization medicine, which I'll let him explain much more about later as well. He was also one of the pioneers with machine learning, something we talk about as well. And then he's just an extremely cool, fun person. Someone that makes you laugh and just have a good attitude to life. He's also been advising head of stage and top athletes and so on. So I look very much forward to getting into this interview and super proud to have Ted Articocho with me today. Ted was very generous with his time, which means that I divided the episodes into two episodes. One is a full-length episode and another one is a shortened version. Both of them are really cool. The shortened version, we look into nootropics, how you make sure that your body is really ready for nootropics, what health optimization medicine is. In the full length, we also touch upon machine learning and a lot of other cool experiences from Ted's life. So let's get started with this short version of Ted's interview. And then you have a whole session on not doing all of these nootropics that people are talking about before you actually got your health up running. (laughs) Yes, that's a major theme that I actually teach my students who are, you know, doctors and practitioners from around the world is that you cannot have any performance optimization unless you have health optimization, Mm. right? So that's fundamental because a lot of people just like and many gurus out there in health are always teaching about performance optimization. Well, how can you have performance optimization when your basic cell isn't healthy? Now, let's take this to the brain because I know that we've created quite a stir with our methylene blue product, right? Blue canotine, which is methylene blue caffeine, CBD, you know, and nicotine. But when I formulated that, you know, I actually was making sure that before trying it on myself, my neurons, or at least my neurotransmitters, were optimized. And how do I do that? You do that by metabolomics also. You check the metabolites. You see that there are several metabolites that you could test just from urine and correlated with your platelets, right? You can test for the metabolites of dopamine, which is responsible for your focus or for your reward. It's what's raised by cocaine. For example, when you take cocaine, dopamine rises by 400 times than usual. That's why you feel invincible. I've never tried it. I've never had the guts to try it. And then there is, of course, serotonin, which is regarded by people as their happy hormone. Remember, neurotransmitters are neurohormones. They are hormones in themselves. So serotonin is responsible for your sensory satisfaction, right? And then there is, of course, epinephrine, norepinephrine, which is responsible for your wakefulness and awareness. If you could see a focused athlete, for example, you know, you could see that epinephrine levels are actually, it's at the right level and the open level as the right level, you could see that he's actually performing at the top of his game because the brain has optimal levels of the neurotransmitters. You could also measure, for example, kynurenin, which is part of the inflammatory signal of the brain. Of course, there's, uh, you know, there will be tests for GABA and so on and so forth. 
Interestingly, GABA is very important because many people uh, don't have any sleep now. It's too bad that GHB is now illegal, right? Because ever since it was branded as a date rape drug, it went away. But it's actually a downstream, that's a downstream metabolite of GABA, which is to sleep, right? Mm -hmm. That puts you to, to sleep. So interestingly, as the major inhibitory neurotransmitter of the brain, you Danes probably have a lot of it because you're very conservative. They found out that people who have a more conservative outlook have a lot more of GABA in the brain. So, <laughs> and they actually measured this in people who are here, it is a test here in the States, so people who are voting Democratic or Republican. So those who are voting Republican tended to have more GABA in their brain, tended to sleep more better at night, despite the fact that the world is going to hell, you know, and so on. Whereas, you know, the Democrats have very much less and more insomnia and so on. But it's a major break, right, yeah. in terms of thinking. And, and you would fact, test uh, that with a urine test, an organic acid test, or how would you test that? That's in the organic acids test, which correlated yeah. with the blood platelet. It's all there. So once you see that you've adjusted that, then you can optimize now your neuron is now your brain cells are now optimized. And when they're optimized like that, then you could actually ask now for performance. It's just like, I don't know if you guys lived through this generation, but I tinkered with microchips a lot of computers. And there's a way of actually overclocking the computer so that you can get more computing performance out of them, right? And before, when I tried to overclock this, they would actually heat up. And that's because they're not really meant for that, right? Yeah. And that's what I mean. If you are not going to help optimize your brain first, your neurons first, with the proper neurotransmitters and having no brain inflammation and, and so forth, then you cannot overclock it. You cannot ask for performance from it. You know, people are taking, you know, so many nootropics now. It's a huge topic. You know, it's been a passion of mine for the past 15 years. Really, I've been studying that area. And I disagree with many people on how they define nootropics. Now, for me, the first characteristic of a nootropic should be it should be neuroprotective. First, it should protect your brain. Before it overclocks performance, it should first protect your brain. So, okay, so if you guys are going to insist on taking loads and loads of, what, nicotine and all of these things, you know, then why don't we do health optimization as the neuroprotective? And then we could give you these things to overclock your performance. Remember that what we want to do here is whenever you overclock, your body will compensate. You will get deficiencies. And so, of course, it will get tired, right? You cannot sustain dopamine production for long periods of time. If you give dopamine directly, you will also flatten out the dopamine receptors in the brain. You know, the body knows how to keep itself at equilibrium, sometimes at your expense, right? It's painful for you, but it's the body trying to protect um, itself. To protect itself. It's just like one of the things now in evolutionary medicine, right? The way that some doctors are now looking at cancer and the way they're studying it is that it's a mechanism of the cell to want to continue to survive. So it breaks away from the ranks of cooperation because the rest are dying. And he says, no, I want to survive. And that's from the evolutionary imperative of the cell. So it's imperative for us to also move our perspective towards the cell, towards the, the biont or the organism itself and see what it's trying to do, right? If we are a forest or an ecosystem, we have our own checks and balances. We're just discovering what those checks and balances are now, right? So in terms of the brain, 
yeah, we've done a lot of work on the brain and autoimage, et cetera, but it's only now that we're trying to see, hey, you know, we used to think, you know, I, I worked on a, a very esoteric research because when I went to the lab, when I entered the lab in 1988, my mentor asked me, he said, is consciousness computable? And I said, yeah. And he says, is beauty computable? And I said, yeah. And he said, no, you get to choose only one problem. <laughs> I should have chosen beauty. I, I, I should have chosen beauty. I should have been very rich when I was younger. But I chose consciousness. And at the time, I belonged to the camp, which is now being tested by quantum computing, that the consciousness is an emergent property very complex systems, right? That the internet, for example, as it becomes more and more complex, has its own oscillations now. And we can call that consciousness or its own consciousness or awareness. And I belong to that camp that those are emergent properties. And before we used to think that, and the reason why I say that is it's a property of our brain networks, for example, that when you present it, say, with a tail of a horse, it will assume that the entire horse, and you ask, how does it do that, you know? And it does that by, by instantaneous coalitions of all of these networks within us, which are momentary. You know, you, can, you cannot really see them. But if you take a look at an evolutionary perspective and how these things develop, you see that, you know, before it was one plus one equals two. Then with increasing complexity, everything became one plus one equals four equals ten and so on. Because we, we ourselves as humans now do not understand how complex we are. But for the handles that we have, if we are able to get markers by which we can handle it and put ourselves to better health and then overclock our performance while being able to return us into an optimal state right away right? Then that would be better for us. What I tell my patients and my clients is this, my goal for you, I said, you can have your goals. My goal for you is to get you addicted to the feeling of wellness, right? So that when you get away from the feeling of wellness, say you ate a piece of cake, you will feel so rotten that you say, I'm never going to do that again, right? So, <laughs> so you always try to maintain that balance, right? And the balance will go back and forth, back and forth, but you know what it feels. And yeah. there was a client who said, there are different kinds of clients. And for example, there's a client that goes, Dr. Ted, I've been under your care for a year now and I haven't felt anything. And I go, okay, uh, how many times have you, before me, how many times did you get sick in a year? Oh, about six times, you know, colds and, and cough and infection and stuff. I said, well, what about this year? He's like, oh my God, you know, I haven't had any illness yet. And I said, you know, what I'm doing is kind of like that. It's a rear view mirror kind of thing. You know, you're not looking forward. I said, let's look back at what happened to you. I said, how many projects were you handling last year? I said, oh, just one. How many projects are you handling this year? Four. So, yeah, you have much more energy to do things. I said, if you're not aware, because these things take time, you know, if you're, you're not aware, then you're seeing like, hey, I have no effect. But for other people who, especially men, they say, you know, I don't need this because, you know, I'm feeling okay. My wife just got to push through. I'm tough. Yeah. Yeah. No, and my wife just wants me to do this because I cannot perform anymore. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it's a strong motivator, right? The two big motivators are that and vanity. So one said, six months later, he said, shit, you know, I thought I already felt good. I didn't know that it was possible to feel this way. So there's that part. The difficult part of the practice, Maz, is that it's experiential. 
most of the doctors, when I started this 10 years ago, there are many doctors who were opposed to me and actually said nasty things about what I was doing. And then now, you know, 10 years later, they have gotten old too. And they said, yeah. Dad, please, we're sorry now. We actually <laughs> believe in what you're saying. I said, it's not a matter of belief. The science is there, yeah. you know? All I'm asking is for us to, aside from pathology, is to take a look at what, you know, what makes us healthy. I introduced three terms, salutology, which is the study of health itself. But study of health itself is done in populations, right? Yeah. So again, we know that health is actually an individual thing. We cannot, uh, but they provide a good baseline. For example, if you exercise X times a week, then you know, you're probably likely to have a better outcomes and so on and so forth. But my quarrel with that is when you put it to health optimization, say, I want to prevent heart disease and I want to prevent Alzheimer's and I want to prevent diabetes because my mother has it. And suddenly you're faced with the American Heart Association guidelines for prevention of heart disease, you know, the diabetes guidelines for prevention of diabetes, you know, you're faced with all of these guidelines and what do you follow? So that's what happens when you do it via salutology. So yeah, it works well in vaccination and all those kinds of issues where population is concerned. But when individual health is concerned, it's a good baseline, but it won't work, right? So the next term there is neotenology. And I love the term because neoteny is a concept of making something more young or making something younger. And my favorite slide here when I lecture is that of Mickey Mouse. When he first came out in 1928, the snout was very long, right? It was an adult mouse. It was not lovable. In 1928, through the years, he's been made to look like an infant that's so cute, right? A high forehead, button nose, a receding chin, the snout was pushed towards the face, and very large eyes. You know, it's like, oh, you know, it elicits all of these elements of nurture. Hey, you know, humans are actually programmed to take care of their young. That's why the young look that way. But the process of neotenization that I mean is not in looks, but our metabolic networks, you know, we, we make them younger to 21 to 30, right? So when you check them, they actually are at a younger age. And that's what I mean by neotenization. And what's something the, very concrete that you would do with a person? So you would test them either like a urine test or like some blood test, and then you would analyze I, I, from those. Yes, I generally take three tests. One is three samples, is blood, urine, and stool. Yeah. And then they're tested for food sensitivity. IgG4 uh, or? IgG4. Yes. IgG4, food sensitivity testing. And then there's uh, organic acids testing. And then, of course, there's the stool test for, you know, your short-chain fatty acids, coprotectin, and all of that. All of those that we know are actually already being used. For example, SCFA or short-chain fatty acids, we know is a major food of the colon cells, right? And even in medical journals, illness medicine journals, they know that very low levels of short-chain fatty acids is associated with colon cancer. And there are now enteric-coated capsules that you can take to, to supplement your butyrate, especially if you're traveling, for example, and you cannot eat much vegetables. Or if you're in Italy who, you know, they seem to not like green leafy vegetables. Yeah. Those are the three major tests, and then you develop a protocol. Yeah, right? so like uh, urine tests, organic acid tests, the blood tests for food sensitivities, and yes. then the stool test. The, 
Yes, the blood test is also for the plasma amino acids. Okay. Because I essentially I want to see what are your macronutrients. You know, yeah. what are the components of your proteins? What are the amino acids looking like? You know, for example, if you're seeing like, hey, why is taurine very low? You know, and in this patient, then you could, it's a sulfur-containing amino acid, you know, take a look at other sulfur-containing amino acids. Is there anything binding to the sulfur and so on? So you could see why this is low. You could already see it way ahead of time. There are already studies right now that show that taurine levels drop to very low levels right before a heart attack. You know, this is now the clinical measure of it, but you're already seeing it way ahead of time. You know, this is what's the beauty of it is that it's a warning light. You're seeing it way ahead of time. You have months to actually do something about it or at least three months to do something about the problem. The fatty acids, we also take a look at the fatty acids. You know, many doctors now prescribe too much omega-3 and you see that the omega-3 are actually way off the charts. And Omega-3 and omega-6 are in balance, so they actually upset the balance, then omega-6 levels go down, right? As I said, in the body, the body has its own checks and balances. So I have now to supplement with omega-6 just so, so that the omega-3 levels will just come down back to, to regular levels. You know that omega-3s are good for you, yeah. but they're also very, very rapidly oxidized because they have more bonds that can be oxidized, right? So... That's the macronutrients, and of course, for your carbohydrates, you take a look at your metabolism of glucose, you could see now, and this is where the doctors actually hate me, because you can see now the metabolites of the Krebs cycle, which is the, and the electron transportation, which is the energy-producing portion of the mitochondria, right? And we used to memorize that in medical school, but now you can measure them, and you can say, okay, so what's the meaning if it's low or high? It means that you're micronutrients are insufficient because, for example, you need vitamin B1, B2, B3, B5, lipoic acid, you know, for that whole energy mechanism to function properly, right? You need CoQ10. So you could see all of those levels and you could actually optimize those, optimize those levels, put them at the levels that are optimal for the person. And so those are the macronutrients that you look at. The first thing I look at is actually to scare the patient or the client, I usually yeah. look at toxins first. Yeah. Okay, here, look, your, your mercury and cadmium levels are very high, you know. Is that and, through and, and blood or through hair? That's, or through that's your... whole blood. Okay. That's whole blood. Yeah. So that's the first thing that I show. Is I show them from without to within. Yeah. So you see, here is what you're taking in, and then I show them the stool test because the result of their gut test, yeah. right? How healthy is your gut? So here you have a leaky gut, here the microorganisms, you have potentially pathogenic organisms, you have low short-term fatty acids, you have indicator for intestinal bowel disease, and, and so on and so forth. So they see the important thing that I want your listeners to remember is that your gut bacteria pre-process everything that you eat, right? Everything that you put inside your mouth and swallow, it will pre-process that. So all of these studies that we say, okay, this is a randomized double-blind study, blah, blah, blah. You know, well, you did not control for the gut microbiota. Really, if it's an oral drug, the drug is actually doing something with it. In fact, one of the cancer drugs that had success in some people and failure in some people, they found out that the failure in some people because there was a lack of two species of bifidobacteria inside the gut. That's why the drug was failing. So it's important to remember that it pre-processes everything, right? That that you eat. And e even just by thinking about that, you already know how to interpret the studies that you read or articles that you read about that. And after the gut health, then I go inside the cell. Here are your macronutrients. Here's the status of your proteins. 
you know, you've not been eating enough meat, etc. You can also catch people who lie, right? Oh, I don't eat chicken. And you could see, you know, you know, Anserin and sarcosine are very high. It's like, uh, sure, you know, you don't eat chicken. <laughs> but it, it's, 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 it's funny. Yeah. It's all there. And then after the macronutrients, for proteins, carbohydrates, and fat components, I go to your micronutrients because they drive all the reactions forward. So these are your vitamins, minerals, etc. And then I go to the special systems, like what are your neurotransmitters looking like? How's your detoxification looking like? How's your antioxidants looking like? Your glutathione levels? You know, how fast are your cell membranes rusting? you know, from oxidation. And we can even pick up the oxidation of the DNA, which is used as a marker for keeping an eye out for the development of cancers, right? Even before the illness marker for cancer comes about, you could pick up some DNA oxidation already happening. So yeah, as I said, these are early warning systems. These are these, the this is your early warning system. Yeah. So that's what I do. And then move those to optimal levels or take out the tox as much of the toxins as you could and so forth. And that's how you do neotenology, right? And then the last one is holobiontology, which I already discussed, which is treating the body as an ecosystem of organisms, right? And that organisms, they're beneath our consciousness or under our consciousness. They are talking. We don't know what they're talking about. So talking about us yeah we, we, so we better be kind to them yeah so 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 they keep our ecosystems intact right otherwise they'll destroy it and uh, you have accelerated aging diseases and death so that's the whole point that's what i call with the complex term you know salu neoteno holobiontology or snh for short and i said if you cannot remember that just remember smarter not harder ology so <laughs> that's, that's a better one smart, you know? yeah yeah this is being smart you don't have to work hard for your health you know it's just like the same advice you don't have to lift heavier weights you just have to be smarter with the way you work out yeah right? so you mentioned the igg4 food sensitivity mm -hmm. test i got that done as well for my functional doctor here in denmark mm -hmm. and I'm happy with it, but I also have a lot of critique on it. So what, what do you think the people that are critiquing the test have misunderstood? I think people who are critiquing the test haven't really used it in the clinics. Yeah. So <laughs> that's my main critique because I've been using it for 10 years, right? And people who are, who are saying, well, it doesn't work, etc. Yeah, but do you practice? You know, what's your experience with it? For me, it was the only test available at the time. And if I develop a very simple way of actually dealing with with this because you know knocking out the foods that you're sensitive to and, and so on that's a very involved process i i just have a very simple guideline on how to go about it and essentially all of my clients and patients have gotten better by just eliminating you know, things that are in, in there and then reintroducing them at a general time you know uh, and how soon after my, you know what I what I do is I make them eliminate everything, even the slight the all of for six months. Six months. Six okay. months. Yes, and after that, you know, even if, for example, even if you haven't gotten the the sensitivity test, if you just just humor me, remove all. I know it's going to be difficult, but remove all milk and milk products and all grain and grain products from your diet for six months you will already feel better, right? 
It's up to you if you want to return, but just do that simple experiment. Or what the heck? Just give me two weeks or four weeks. You know, just do that and see how you feel. Yeah. Because the inflammation, inflammation generally goes down. We are, we're actually uh, weird species. I, I like saying this, we're a weird species. We actually like drinking the milk of other species, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and grain and grain products, of course, are notorious because we had to feed the, you know, a huge population. We did it by grain and just, just by necessity. But what's by necessity is not necessarily what's optimal for you, right? It's just like the guidelines for nutrition will say, the recommended dietary allowance is this. It's an RDA. That's a survival value, right? That's not an optimal value. It just allows you to survive. Yeah. Right? So there's a difference between optimization and just trying to survive, right? And people ask me all the time, you know, Dr. Ted, what's a high-quality life for you? On its most fundamental basis, a high-quality life is a life without pain, Right? When you wake up in the morning, you feel no physical pain, there is nothing in there. But then we expand that, a life with no emotional pain and a life with no mental anguish. You know, so it goes on that way. And then we're in the definition of fitness, right? What you ask is now not are you healthy, but are you fit for something? You know, are you emotionally fit to deal with the grief, not emotionally healthy? Are you mentally fit to stand trial? You know, are you sexually fit to have sex? You're yeah. not sexually healthy. You need to be sexually fit, right? That's why optimization, health optimization comes first before performance optimization. And when you relate that to sex, it's just like you have to learn to do vanilla first before you can become a porn star. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's, that's a quote for the podcast. <laughs> that's that's definitely gonna get people to be okay. I gotta hear this. A doctor telling me vanilla sex porn star. Yeah. <laughs> But I agree on the yeah, point. So, yeah. So that's essentially the thing that I to your question about. You know, when people say, yeah, you know, there's even a question about you know the DNA oxidation, whether or not that's related to cancer, etc. What the fuck? You see, it's getting oxidized. Just keep an eye out for the cancer markers, right? And if you're not practicing, just shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know, read the literature. Say, well, I read in this literature that that this, 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 and this, and these are not good markers. But have you tried it on someone? Have you tried taking care of someone and actually doing it? If you haven't, then just say, well, we're aware of it. Right? I'm aware of all of those criticisms, really, seriously. But if it's working for your clients or your patients, because there's no, you ask them what other marker would you use and they can't recommend anything. No. Right? And that's the whole thing that's irritating about it. They criticize the marker that you use, that metabolic marker that you're using, and then they have no substitute for it. And then they have no experience with the current marker that you're using. It's just like, right? Yeah. So <laughs> that's how I respond. And that's why I still keep a very active health optimization practice because it's different. What you read And this is now, we now go to the topic of what's called translational medicine, right? What you read in literature, you know, doesn't directly translate to what you do in the clinics. And you will see very much so that there are a lot of podcasters out there giving out very good information and so on and so forth. And the patients or clients, when they come to you, think it's going to be that way. But when you see it, much of the failure of the protocols that are given to them is actually not due to the advice or the protocol or anything else. It's because of the person's behavior. Most people are poorly compliant, right? They, yes. 
because the protocol can be a little bit complex, you know, up to 80% of the initial part, if you don't push them or goad them, or they don't have any motivation, you know, they will not take their supplements. So you have to have to, to do a lot of handholding and so on at the beginning to do that. It's a good thing that a lot of patients and clients are actually well informed, but actually not them who's asking about the validity of your tests. You know, it's the doctors and practitioners who have never used them in their practice. So, you know, for me, it's like if they're using some fancy new, new test and so on and so forth, they don't need to justify it to me because I trust that they're experts in, in their field, right? In the same way that because, and of course, they have experience with it. So it's the same, the same way. It's just like, and this is just like any practice. It's just like any practice. So why I'm pushing for it to become actually a medical specialty in and of itself so that we're not just stuck with repair all the time. We can be doing maintenance. And that would be amazing to get this more accepted. Yes. Yes. And I, I love the fact that we're, we've gone global yeah. in London. Exactly. And I talked to yeah. Scott, who is in Silicon Valley, and I'm going to talk to Roland as well, who's in Canada. So this and, is yes, really... They are my wonderful students. Yeah. Yes. And you've talked to Boomer also, right? Yeah. Or you've listened to, yeah. Yeah. And he wants to introduce it to Europe. Yeah. And we have also someone who wants to, Jody, who we've met, uh, you know, to introduce it to Australia. As I said before, I did my calculus. There will be more health optimization practitioners than there will be doctors. Because the health organization practitioners, they are more passionate about the health of their clients. Right? I call them clients because they're not sick. Right? They're more passionate. They're, and there's more of them. Yeah. You know, doctors, we have the mental shackles. We have this prison by which we were educated. And it's hard to get out of the prison. Even if the prison door is open, you know, we choose to stay inside that prison cell because it's a perspective that we're used to. You know, honestly, Mads, it took me three years to get out from this perspective. I had to trip so many times like, oh my God, I'm looking at this as a disease again. You know, I'm not looking at it as a, as a whole person that's networked. And now with an ecosystem point of view or a holobion point of view, it's easier. You know, if you stop looking at a person with eyes, nose, mouth, etc., and just look at them as an ecosystem of cells, it's easier to get them healthy. Yeah. Right? It's the wrong level of looking at it if you have to maintain health. If you're going to do disease, yeah, you take a look at the level of the heart, you know, the lungs and, and so on and so forth. That's disease. But if you're going to look at it, the level of health, you better take a look at it at the cellular level yeah. or intercellular level, intracellular level, etc. Future generations may look at it at a quantum level. Hey, you know, we'll see. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. But right now, what can be measured? I stick to what can be measured, right? Because it's acceptable yeah. to the medical community. This is now clinically measured. Here it is. We can actually, before I used to get asked a lot, why are you giving your patients or your clients so much of these supplements and that? And my patients actually learned to answer back. He said, it's because Dr. Ted measured. Because they tell them, take out all of that because that's a typical doctor response, right? Take out all of those. You don't need blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, he measured it and I need it. Yeah. He said, would you like to measure it for me? So... You know, attitudes die hard, but, at, you know, uh, as uh, mitochondria, microbiota, epigenetics, and all of these are coming into the illness medicine conferences, you know, my favorite stories are those of cardiologists who called me up and said, Ted, you lectured this to us seven years ago. I'm here at a conference, and they're talking about mitochondria and microbiota. 
it's, I said, oh yeah, now, so finally you're believing me. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it is to be a pioneer. <laughs> but it's fun. Yeah. So Dr. Ted, where can people follow you or learn more about health optimization medicine? Yes, we are now a non-profit organization, tax exempt non-profit organization. It's at homehope.org yeah. um, or medicine.org. And you could see the origins there. There's our origin story in there. There is also the glucanotine that I mentioned that can overclock your brain without overheating it is at transcriptions.com. That's T-R-O-S, like prescriptions, but it's transcriptions.com. I'll add it in the uh, show notes as well. Yes. Oh. And Instagram there is at transcriptions, right? And then um, in Manila, uh, where I practice four times a year and where I pioneered this clinical practice, it's a bybalanceinstitute.com. So that's where people can find me. I uh, try my best to stay in the background, but since I pioneered this, young guys like you are pushing me, you know, to talk more. Do the podcast, get on social media. Yes, but as I said, I'm just the pioneer. This is a conversation of your generation, right? This conversation should be owned by you. It should be executed by you. You know, the landscape of it should be defined by you. I all did was just opened and took a look and okay, here are the things that we've been missing and this is how things are evolving and this is where your generation needs to take control. Yeah. Uh, a relaxed control, but a control nonetheless. Right? Yeah. My definition of expertise is that, you know, it's a relaxed control over a subject matter. So you guys should have that relaxed control over your health. We will try. So before rounding off, Any, uh, if you had to sum up one to three advice for the listeners out there? It's actually my free advice is always with my eight different things that you should do yeah. for an optimal life. Even if you don't get tested, it has to do with lifestyle. I, I always say sleep well, right? Hydrate well when you wake up in the morning, especially your body is dehydrated. Sleep well, hydrate well, eat well, right? Ground well, you know, uh, walk barefoot in the sand or in the grass. Sun well, expose yourself to the sun. It's a crime if you don't, especially when the sun is there for free. And it also has other uh, beneficial effects on your mood. Move well, you know, your exercise, you walk. Until now, the study that walking two miles a day continuously without stopping uh, is still one of the best exercises out there. I tell my uh, the women, you know, if they go around in malls, not to shop, they just go walk around. Yeah. <laughs> Don't pick up something. <laughs> and then relate well, right? So you have to examine the not only your relationship with other people, right? But your relationship to things in your life, right? What's your relationship with your phone? Yeah. What's your relationship with your home? What's your relationship with your pet? What's your relationship to the events that are coming up? Because those are major sources of stress. Or happiness, yeah. right? And then love well. And that has to do with your with your sex life and with your relationship with your significant others or with your orgy partners or whoever. That, <laughs> that, that, it's a very simple prescription, right? Very simple prescription. It ha all uh, has everything to do with lifestyle. So the one thing I'd like to say is that sleep is very important. So in your schedule, make it the number one in your schedule. So begin your day with the time that you sleep so that you don't skimp on it. So by the time you wake up in the morning, item number one has been checked off. Yeah. Right? 
And then the, the first thing that I do is, of course, I after my daily meditation is I, I drink a, a couple of glasses of water. So you meditate sure. directly after you wake up? Yes, I meditate directly after we wake up. It's a gratitude meditation and what I call I am insignificant meditation where I imagine the Big Bang, you know, going you know, from nothingness to Big Bang through the evolution of the universe and the galaxy and then the Earth and then the solar system, the Earth, and then there's me and then I go, what's my problem again? I actually don't have any. <laughs> because you feel so insignificant. Even yeah. when you travel, you know, you go to an old place, right? You see this granite that has withstood there for, you know, for a thousand, five hundred years, etc. They're still there and the people who built it are gone. So in relation to your problem, oh my God, you know, my neighbor has uh, broke and my fans it's like dude you know that granite wall is still up there yeah. uh, and, and, and so how insignificant you are and, and your, what your problems really are and then gratitude you know for for everything yet you're alive for another day for crisis it's amazing um, i write a yeah, gratitude journal every night before i go to bed yeah and then i i practice 16 hours of fasting so i, I just have a black coffee and i i work at work in the morning and then I have my first meal at noon. The fattiest meal is at noon. You know, the high fiber carbohydrate meal is at about four o'clock in the afternoon. And my proteinaceous dinner is around seven, seven thirty PM. So that's an eight hour time span. And then to cheat, since it's winter here, although I'm going to, to Asia on Friday, I have a vitamin D lamp where I expose myself. It's the only place where I really expose myself. <laughs> As I have vitamin D, sun, sun well, I do have a beach place where I go to, I take off my shoes and walk in the sand in the weekends. But I also have a grounding mat in the place where I work, you know, where you could put in and ground yourself. I have a red, red light going at the back. I didn't buy this. I made this myself. You know, yeah. so if you're handy, you could actually just get the specs and you could do these things yourself. So Everything is incorporated in your lifestyle. You don't necessarily have to have anything expensive. Yeah. Even if you can get things checked, etc. You let your day flow, you know, according according to those. Uh, and then the last advice is to have to get rid of your toxic relationships. If it happens to be your boss, you know, you better become the boss or you get out of your work. Yeah. So <laughs> that's my that's my <laughs> advice. It's very simple. Perfect. Dr. Ted, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me, Mads. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.